2: Welcome in podcast listeners back from WrestleMania awesome time down in Tampa back with you guys here for the Tuesday edition of the program Chad Withrow on in the first hour John McClain in hour number two and then my guy Petros Papadakis AM 570 LA sports in the third hour of the program all those things headed your direction go give us five stars by the way. If you do, Danny G is going to read all those and you'll be glad that you did. Just search out Outkick. Just search out my name and you'll be able to give us a five star review. The podcast begins now. Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. <laughs> You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Welcome in, Tuesday edition. I hope all of you are having a fantastic start to your Tuesday. I was out yesterday. My thanks to the crew, Jonas Knox, I believe, and Jeff Schwartz, who set in. Why was I out? Well, I was out because I was at WrestleMania. Second day, they did a Saturday WrestleMania and a Sunday WrestleMania and it was really cool. I was down near the ring, right by the ramp, where everybody walked in. Uh, I was with my wife, who uh, is a big, long-time WWE fan. She was actually wearing her Ricky the Dragon steamboat shirt, and uh, she went to WrestleMania three. My wife did in Detroit, the Pontiac Silverdome, back when Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant were wrestling. 90 some odd thousand people were there for WrestleMania three, and it was an event. And you may remember that yourself, or you may have gone back and watched some of those old school wrestling matches when those guys were such iconic figures. Hulk Hogan was there, which was cool to see him. We had a good time in Tampa. The weather held off in the evening, uh, and it was a uh, pretty fantastic time. So, uh, that's where I was on Monday, uh, traveling back from Tampa. I'm now back in the, uh, back in the seat here and, uh, we are ready to roll. I will say sitting ringside for WrestleMania, the athleticism of the wrestlers is pretty impressive to be able to see up close like that. And I've never set ringside for a big boxing match or a big UFC event And that makes me want to go to a big boxing, big, big boxing match or a big UFC event and be able to sit down close and see it face to face as opposed to seeing it through television. There's just something about being able to appreciate the athleticism better to me if you are watching it in person as opposed to watching it on television. The guys uh, are bigger, faster and stronger. Same thing, by the way, for football. If you ever get a chance to watch a major college football game or an NFL game down really close where you can get a sense for the size and the speed of the guys on the field, it's uh, it's definitely a unique experience. So even something simple like seeing somebody climb to the top of the ropes when you're sitting down ground level and can look up and see how high those guys are on the ropes. Pretty cool. So it was an awesome experience. So that was a lot of fun. Thanks to uh, the president of WWE, Nick Kahn, for bringing my wife and I down and uh, and hosting us. We had a phenomenal time there uh, hanging out with him. So, bunch of different things that are going on in the world, but I'll react a little bit to the Masters because I wasn't on Monday to react to it, and Dub, I don't know how your gambling bets went with the Masters, but it was a mess for me because I had Xander Shuffley... And, and whose name I'm probably messing up, but I had him at a big payday, and he completely fell apart at 16. And truth be told, this was not a very interesting Sunday at the Masters. And even Saturday, you had the rain delay. But Sunday, there was about 20 minutes of drama when Hideki Matsuyama put the ball into... Uh, he, he put it in the water. I think it was on 15. And then uh, Xander cut it to two shots... And he had the opening tee shot on 16 to really put, I think, a lot of pressure on Matsuyama. Maybe enough that if he had hit a good shot on 16, I think he may have won the tournament. Instead, he put it in the water, which almost no one does at 16. Right? That's not a really greatly difficult tee shot now sometimes you're not close enough to uh to the pin you have to you know two or three putt which is what Matsuyama did so that can be a challenge but Xander Shuffley I think he had not had a triple bogey in like a thousand holes of major action so far he puts it in the water and then he comes back on his drop and hits it into the the gallery behind the hole which is also uh, another awful shot. So he went back-to-back, triple bogeys, and Matsuyama, as a result, can really coast his way into uh, winning the green jacket. And then, by the way, credit to Matsuyama. I saw some of these pictures out on Monday. Uh, He is just sitting in the normal seats outside of a gate in Atlanta uh, with his green jacket and the couple of guys that he's traveling with not flying private, not even sitting in a private area of the Atlanta airport. He's just chilling in the, uh, in the terminal. Totally regular dude who happens to have a green jacket and have won the biggest golf honor in Japan, which is a golf-mad country in uh, that country's history. So, Would you agree with me, Dub, as a diehard Masters fan, that sunday other than about 20 minutes where you started to think hey maybe Matsuyama's going to going to crumble a little bit down the stretch starting at 15 but then Xander Shuffley wasn't even able to keep the pressure on him cuz he immediately dunked it
3: yeah it was pretty much a total snooze fest on sunday which you know not every masters can be 2019 you know not right. every single one is going to be an all-time great but i had some money on will's alatoris And then my big bet of the week was John Rahm to finish in the top 10. So he went out and shot a 66 on Sunday, which kind of saved me there. Yeah. But speaking on Xander Schauffele, he had seven birdies on Sunday. And Matsuyama shot one over. If you would have known that information before the round started, I think there would have been a lot of people that would have had some money on Xander to Do you think that's a
2: choke job on 16 when he put it in the water? Is it fair to say that that's a choke?
3: Well, I was listening to him talk to the media after his round, and he said that he hit the exact shot that he wanted to, but him and his caddy just misjudged the wind. Yeah. He said he thought the wind was helping, but it was actually hurting. So he said he hit a perfect shot, but they just miscalculated before the shot. So
2: And well, then he followed it up with a pretty bad shot right. from the drop zone, too.
3: But not only 16, but in the middle of his front nine, he bogeyed three, he bogeyed four, then he double bogeyed five. So he had yep. two separate occasions where he really gave up some shots there. But, you know, congrats to Hideki Matsuyama. And those pictures that you're talking about of him at the airport yesterday were fantastic. Those were really cool to see.
2: It's also interesting, by the way, and I want to mention this, because there's a lot of talk about cancel culture in the world of sports. And certainly we saw it with Rob Manfred pulling the All-Star Game out of Atlanta. And by the way, Braves fans just indignant now, because not only did the All-Star Game get pulled out of Atlanta, but that crazy call on Sunday Uh, which I can react to, I guess now, even though it's Tuesday, where they looked at it on instant replay and still, if you haven't watched this, I mean, it's worth going back and I think it's one of the flaws of instant replay. I don't understand how you can have instant replay and still get something wrong like this, but I do think this is great evidence for anybody out there who's listening and they're worried about people being mad at them on social media or what's the reaction going to be. Once the Masters started play on Thursday... Nobody talked about the idea of canceling the Masters anymore. And it was a ridiculous boycotting the Masters, whatever you want to call it. It was a ridiculous idea in the first place. Even some people said you need to relocate the Masters, which I said is basically like saying, hey, you need to relocate the University of Georgia. The Masters exist in Augusta. You either play it there or you don't play it at all. But once you started and you teed off nobody talked about the idea of canceling the the golf course or the golf competition anymore. And I think there's so much fear and so much trepidation out there in the marketplace in general that people overreact. And I think that's what happened, frankly, with Rob Manfred when he pulled the Major League Baseball All-Star game. I was reading over the weekend, the Washington Post uh, had a big article up that I was catching up on, and they said, hey, the, the new Georgia voting bill – actually isn't going to restrict voting access at all. In fact, there may be more people voting in Georgia in the wake of this new bill because they expanded early voting and other aspects. And so we are so quick to be captured by whatever viral outrage there is, oftentimes in the world of sports, before people ever actually do any research about it. And to me, this was an interesting angle was... Once they teed off, there was all this talk, even the president got asked about it, what should be going on at Augusta. Once they teed off, the story disappeared. Now, I'm bringing it back up right now, just as evidence that once you get to the sporting event itself, all of the other discussion is noise and it vanishes. And so I actually think a lot of these sports leagues should do less as opposed to doing more. Because once the games themselves start, that's what becomes the discussion point. What happened? Was Xander Shuffley, did he choke at 16 uh, with the shot that he put in the water? Would Hideki Matsuyama have won if Xander Shuffley had been able to keep the overall pressure up on him? Those become the talking points. Even Justin Rose and how hot of a uh, out of the gate he came out on that opening Thursday. These are all of the things that fans talk about. And the idea of boycotting or canceling or anything else, the story just vanishes. And I don't know about you, Dub. You basically watched every minute. Once they actually teed off at the Masters, did you hear anything more about the idea of canceling or boycotting or was it all about golf?
3: Yeah, it was pretty much just golf, 100%. No more talks of the boycott, no more talks of anything of that nature.
2: And so I think that's indicative of – For sports leagues and athletes and and owners and uh, teams and all these different people affiliated with sports, there's a lot of noise. But most of the time, if you ignore the noise and just focus on your craft, your sport itself, the noise disappears. And you don't have to embolden or respond to people who are making outlandish claims. And I think it's an instructive uh, example of what happened in the world of the uh, of the golf compared to Major League Baseball, and Rob Manfred, by the way, has still not canceled his Masters membership. So, so much of these cancel culture decisions are total BS when they're actually broken down, right? Like there isn't any tangible evidence of uh, of any real outlandish protest. And, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this. So old school, I worked on Capitol Hill um, back during the Bill Clinton impeachment trial. And I was the lowest man on the totem pole. I was in college at the time. And I was in charge of stacking all the responses pro and con for whether Bill Clinton should be impeached. And one of the things that they found out with the way that people would send mail in Congress was they would get a lot of different people to sign on, and they might send you a 1,000 or 10,000 or 5,000 or whatever it was, pieces of mail, but they were all identical, and they just had a different name on them. And it was because these groups, which were perpetually outraged, would try to convince you that way more people cared about a particular side of an issue than really did by sort of these mass mail drops that they would... Bring to bear on contentious issues, and I remember literally ground uh, bottom level uh, in a con- congressman's office, sitting there and opening all of these different uh, these different opinions. And what it was was manufactured outrage. People really weren't as angry as these letters would have you believe, and I think that's transferred from loading down congressmen's offices with negative uh, opinions or positive opinions of any bill that aren't really representative but are designed to make you think that this is a big deal that's social media every day a lot of these companies basically have rigged bots and so there it looks like a thousand people really care about something and it might be 20 people that have all these different fake accounts constantly peppering you from those fake accounts and one of the things that i've even noticed on outkick uh as you know when i dive in and read mentions every now and then i'll block somebody cuz it's like just hyper negative or whatever and i don't do it very often i mean we've got i don't know 800,000 people probably who follow us uh 900 maybe a million people who follow us on uh on social media and i bet we've blocked five or 600 people total but what's interesting is when somebody gets blocked that person almost always has a series of anonymous accounts that are all linked. In other words, they have like a bunch of different burner accounts to try to make whatever they're arguing look more substantial than it actually is. And so one of the lessons that I would take away from Hideki Matsuyama's win at the Masters is all of this outrage, this cancel culture, this boycott universe vanishes if you can hold out and actually get to the point of the actual uh athletic event itself beginning as opposed to allowing yourself to be overtaken by all that anger and vitriol and everything else i think it's just a good lesson and i think it's a good lesson for a lot of you out there too regardless because as a guy who's found himself in the center of a lot of media hurricanes over the years i can tell you almost every story vanishes after 24 hours people are outraged they take their pound of flesh they're so mad And then they move on to something else. And I think that's what we saw with the Masters. And I think it's what we would have seen with the All Star game if Rob Manfred hadn't blown it if he had kept the All Star game in Atlanta. Uh, All right. When we come back, we're going to be joined by my buddy uh, Chad Withrow at Outkick 360. Also, let me give you a roadmap of where we're headed. Uh, John McClain from the Houston Chronicle is scheduled to join us in the second hour. We'll talk NFL and obviously Deshaun Watson with him as he covers the Houston Texans. And then Petros Papadakis scheduled to join us in the third hour. Bring in now Chad Withrow. He is with the OutKick 360 Monday through Friday, 12 Eastern, 11 Central, 10 Mountain, and 9 a.m. Pacific. Withrow, I put up a question last night, and everybody's so passionate. I love the poll questions because everybody's like convinced what the answer is and and how aggressive they are. Julian Edelman has retired. Um, And one of the challenges, I think, that exists for Julian Edelman's career is is how do you assess regular season versus postseason in terms of his overall uh, career? Because I do think if you just looked at postseason performances, Julian Edelman is second all-time in the NFL in catches and in receiving yards to Jerry Rice in all-time NFL postseason. 118 catches, uh, 1,442 receiving yards. He also won the MVP of Super Bowl 53. Most people, it seems like uh, around 60, 70 to 30, do not believe he is a Hall of Famer. How would you assess overall performance when it comes to regular season and postseason performances as it pertains to Hall of Fame career status?
0: It's an interesting question. I would put Julian Edelman in the. Hall of Fame personality and name department Yeah, in that he's such a celebrity on an all-time great football dynasty with the Patriots. But I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, Derek Mason, uh, a guy we know in Nashville, you know, played for the Titans, played for m- multiple teams, played for m- longer than Julian Edelman. He has almost double the career receiving yards and touchdowns of Julian Edelman. And no one thinks he's close to the Hall of Fame. I mean, I'm sure some would argue, but he's not a guy that's getting mentioned for the Hall of Fame right now. So statistically speaking, I don't think Julian Edelman is close. I think that your uh, poll question will probably continue to be lopsided, people saying no, uh, that he's not a Hall of Famer. But it is funny how I I do this with any athlete or coach. Just play the name game. If you say the name to a group of knowledgeable sports fans, are they going to know who they are and how great are they going to say that player is? I think you say Julian Edelman. And a lot of people probably uh, to an extent of knowing what he did in the playoffs or just knowing that he was on those great Patriots teams will probably give him more value than he actually statistically has earned uh, when you look at his career stats. So I'm going to say absolutely not, but I do think that you bring up a good broader question, Clay, about postseason performance versus regular season performance. And can someone's postseason performance get them uh, to a Hall of Fame level? I think about Robert Ory in basketball. You know, we don't know uh, Big Shot Rob, Big Shot Bob from, uh, from his uh, regular season performance. We know him because he was big in playoff series uh, for multiple teams. And I think we know Julian Edelman because he was Tom Brady's favorite target on multiple Super Bowl champions.
2: Yeah, and I think it also goes to, uh, you know, when you look at Brady and the offensive talent that has surrounded him, the Bucks right now are the most talented offense that he's ever played on. I mean, in terms of skill position, guys, with Godwin, with Cameron Brate, who's an underrated tight end, with Gronk, with Mike Evans, with Scotty Williams, like all these different guys that are playmakers, Leonard Fournette in the backfield. And when you look at all of these guys that surround him now, it also brings back up how few big-time playmakers he had that surrounded him with the with the Patriots right now, because I think – when we look back on the dynasty that was the New England Patriots, Brady certainly is the greatest quarterback of all time. I think that argument's hard to make for anybody else right now. But really, other than Randy Moss and Gronkowski, I'm not sure that any player on those Patriots teams at the skill positions on that offense are going to be Hall of Famers. And that's really pretty remarkable when you think about Tom Brady and, uh, and how much success he had.
0: It's it It's incredible. I mean, the, the gap between, and look, Bill Belichick, all-time great coach, no doubt about it. But, yes. You know, the, the Tom Brady-Bill Belichick argument, uh, I think that the gap is only getting wider between which one was more responsible. Now, Belichick deserves a lot of credit for bringing in the right pieces to the Brady puzzle, even if it wasn't Hall of Fame pieces. But, you know, culture matters. I know Tom Brady recently said, I realized that the Patriot way wasn't the only way. But the Patriot way was pretty damn successful. And whatever they concocted there, to bring in, and you just went through the list, not a ton of Hall of Fame players on offense and not a ton of big-time playmaking weapons, but to pair that with a quarterback whose mind is probably the greatest of all time, not probably, it's the greatest quarterback competitive mind in the history of the NFL. To put them with not that impressive pieces and to have that sort of result Year after year after year in that Patriot dynasty. And then for Tom Brady to go to Tampa and win a Super Bowl in year one, it, it, it's incredible. And whatever happened there and, and whatever magic they were able to conjure, uh, I, I don't know that we'll see much like that. Because, I mean, go back to all the dynasties in the NFL. Think about all the Hall of Famers from the 49ers teams of the 80s and 90s. You had mentioned Jerry Rice earlier. Think about the Steelers of the 70s and all the Hall of Fame players they produced. And now look at Brady offensively. And that longtime dynasty and the lack of Hall of Famers, it's, it's incredible, Clay. I mean, it's, there's no other way to say it. It's, it's, it's remarkable the career he's had and what he could still accomplish with that Tampa Bay team because, like you said, it's, he's surrounded by the most talent he's ever had in his career. Do you, in the
2: back of your mind, still feel like, even though he's retired, that Julian Edelman might be able to get back healthy enough to try and join Tom Brady in Tampa Bay?
0: Absolutely. I don't buy for a second, honestly, that any of these guys are truly done. Because when Papa Tom comes calling, um, that's, that's when you come back. So Rob Gronkowski showed that. When, when it's your time and when Brady feels like he could use you, you know, they are one uh, Cameron break slash Chris Godwin injury away from Julian Edelman getting that call. Uh, you know, the bat phone rings, It's Tom Brady on the other end. He says, hey, Julian, we had a really special connection up in New England. Let's have that connection again down in Tampa. I think he he runs to it. Uh, I think that if you get a chance to do that, then you probably do it. When Tom Brady calls, you answer that call. So, yes, I think there is a chance, a strong chance, that Julian Edelman is not done playing.
2: So Julian Edelman retires. uh, About 70% of uh, my audience says he's not a Hall of Famer. Again, to me, kind of reemphasizes how incredible Tom Brady's run was in New England. Uh, with the lack of offensive talent of a Hall of Fame caliber that surrounded him during a dynastic run. Uh, We also have a lot of drama now surrounding the NFL draft, but I'm curious if you pay attention to this as much as I do, with Roe. Now that gambling is legal in a lot of different states, it feels like we know already what's going to happen in a lot of the NFL draft. And maybe this year is a little bit unique, But Trevor Lawrence to the Jags, foregone conclusion, according to Oddsmakers. Zach Wilson to the Jets, foregone conclusion, according to Oddsmakers. And now, Mac Jones is out to minus 333 to go to the 49ers. So let's presume that the odds makers and the Gamblers have those right. That Trevor Lawrence is one, Zach Wilson is two, Mac Jones is three. That would leave the Atlanta Falcons in the fourth spot with an uncertain future there. If you are Arthur Smith, do you go with a tight end like Kyle Pitts, who most people, I think, consider to be one of the surest things that's in the first round out there? You've got Matt Ryan for another two to three years, or do you go ahead, no, you might not be up this high very often, and theoretically you would have Justin Fields, you would have Trey Lance. Would you go ahead and draft a replacement for Matt Ryan? What do you think the
0: Falcons do? Well, I think the Falcons will draft Kyle Pitts. I think that they will go to go to war with Matt Ryan for however long he has left, and they will surround him with better players. He's already got a great supporting cast. I mean, it's not like he's got a shortage of guys who can go get the ball uh, on that offense. But you add Kyle Pitts to that, it's definitely a different dynamic to that offense. So I think they go Kyle Pitts. I would have a really hard time not draft drafting Justin Fields. I would have uh, just watching his performance and thinking about his upside. Now, I think that the floor for him is maybe lower than than some quarterbacks out there in this draft, but I think the ceiling is really high, and I think it's exceptionally high with Arthur Smith as his head coach and offensive coordinator. So this being the quarterback-driven league that it is, if I really like Justin Fields, and I do personally, but if I'm the Falcons and I really like Justin Fields, I'm having a really hard time not taking him at four if, in fact, the 49ers pass on Justin Fields, which, as you said, according to Vegas, looks like it's going to happen.
2: Yeah, and you know what's interesting also about Justin Fields, obviously, is the Falcons are his hometown team because a lot of people have forgotten that he initially grew up in Georgia, went to the University of Georgia before he transferred to Ohio State and ended up playing there for two years. Also, uh, as you sort of break down risk-reward, three years ago, When Baker Mayfield went number one overall, the expectation was the two riskiest quarterbacks in that draft, or who? Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson have been the best-performing quarterbacks of those five, right? Sam Darnold is trying to reclaim his career now in Carolina. We'll see whether that happens. Baker, I think it's fair to say, looking good right now, but has been uh, up and down quite a bit. And Josh Rosen is on like his fourth different team But the two guys that people would have said, hey, Josh Allen wasn't accurate at Wyoming, there were a lot of people who believed that he was going to end up being a failure, and then there were a lot of people that believed Lamar Jackson was going to be a failure. Both of those guys have been the best performers at the quarterback position so far.
0: Let me ask you this question, Clay. Four years from now, when we're looking long-term career, who's got the better trajectory? Who's the better player in four years? I'm going between Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, and Lamar Jackson. I'm going Josh Allen, clearly number one.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. With the
0: that he's and his trajectory, I, I think Baker Mayfield's second. And that's crazy to think with the start Lamar Jackson got off to in his career. But I think yeah. four years from now, I think it's Josh Allen, I think it's Baker Mayfield, I think it's Lamar Jackson. I don't think... Lamar Jackson, when forced to stay in the pocket, has yeah. a problem. Yeah. Throwing to the outside, outside the number. He does. He's not as accurate as those guys. And it's going to continue being a problem, and it's going to continue holding back what's been some really, really good Baltimore Ravens teams as long I as he's it, there. But if I would, would have told you that after Lamar Jackson's rookie year, no one would have believed me, right?
2: Well, I mean, or after his uh, MVP season year two, because I think after his rookie yeah. year, remember, it ended with that poor performance against the Chargers, and there were a lot of skeptics as to what Lamar Jackson would be able to do. And then he came out and won the MVP in yeah, year after, two.
0: After last year, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah his second year and, was the and previous so, season.
2: And so I, I think what's it, what you kind of hit on is I always try to think of you know ceilings and floors because ideally what you want is a really high floor and then a super high ceiling too right like uh, that would be probably uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, and certainly the the guy that if you talk to any NFL quarterback scout ever they say that Andrew Luck is the greatest quarterback who's ever existed in terms of what he could accomplish and how they broke him down I mean. Everybody just gets like a glimmer in their eye, like uh, just like they're blown away by Andrew Luck, even though obviously he's decided to leave. But I do think for Josh Allen, like every year you need to get a little bit better. And I think if you were assessing right now, all of those guys, Josh Rosen, it doesn't appear, he may never never start another game. And that is its own difficult situation for him because the paradigm shifted on Josh Rosen. Nobody had ever gotten drafted in the first round and then gotten traded in that first season. So I don't know that he ever really had a chance to succeed at any kind of legitimate level. But Sam Darnold gets a chance. He's only 23 years old. But I think, if you're, I think to me, Josh Allen is head and shoulders above everybody else in that draft class right now based on how
0: good he looked in year three. It's amazing, too, with Josh Allen because the one thing I always thought in terms of potential – and the ceiling for a player, you can't teach accuracy. Yep. But by the time a guy gets you in the NFL, you can't go back and break down mechanics and teach someone to be accurate. And guess what? Accuracy is the number one contributing factor to great quarterbacks in the NFL. And Josh Allen got more accurate. He learned Way more accuracy. accurate.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I mean he I think was, you got to give him a lot of not accurate at all at Wyoming. I think you got to give a lot of credit to Brian Dayball. I believe I'm correct in this. I think he went from – Double, you look this up and verify that I'm correct. I think he went from 59% accuracy in Season 2 all the way up to 69%, I think, completion percentage in Season 3. Now, partly, that is designing a good offensive system so that you're completing a lot of high percentage throws. But to have – I think I'm correct in that. and Double, let us know here in a sec. But to have basically a 10-point jump – in your completion percentage between season two and season three is unheard of. Yeah, he went 59% completion to 69% and basically shattered that argument that you weren't able to be accurate. And, and by the way, in his rookie year, he only completed 53% of his passes, which is insanely low. Uh, but to go all the way to 69% by year three, now I do think, look, Stefan Diggs helped uh, because Diggs is uh, certainly, I think, a top five-ish uh, wide receiver in this league, and so I think there was uh, a lack of weapons that he was uh, dealing with in Buffalo beforehand, but that's a pretty
0: incredible rise. Well, And, and getting back to what I was saying with that, and, and here's my broader point with, with both these quarterbacks, and, with, and all three of these quarterbacks, I'm saying that four years from now, the best quarterbacks four years from now will be Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, and Lamar Jackson, in that order, One, two yep. three of those three guys, but... If Josh Allen could learn to be accurate while playing in the NFL, can't Lamar Jackson? I mean, I think Josh Allen maybe brings up the most hope in Lamar Jackson for becoming more of an accurate pocket passer as he goes along. Now, he would be doing it a little bit later in the process as opposed to Josh Allen if he got better in that respect. But I think that Josh Allen breaks the mold in a lot of ways because he wasn't accurate, then he became accurate over the course of his career. And because of that, I mean, he, he's, gonna be, he's already one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but he's got a chance to be a, an all-time great if he continues at his trajectory.
2: Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt at all about that. Chad Withrow, appreciate the time, man. We will talk to you uh, next week.
0: All right, sounds good, Clay. Talk to you soon.
2: This is Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis.
3: Hey, it's me, Rob Parker. Check out my weekly MLB podcast, Inside the Parker
1: of the trade create your perfect fishing experience and search for charters by location species salt versus freshwater and more plus it's smooth sailing with fishing bookers simple online payment method you'll always fish with confidence when you start fishing like a local start your angling adventure now with fishing booker visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today fishing booker fishing trips made easy l-a-s-i-k com slash sports. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be.
2: So I, you guys know this. I love to kind of look at the lines and look at the odds uh, as it pertains to gambling. Uh, and as now there are 10 states that have sports gambling legal in their states, it's becoming easier to kind of guess as to what's happening in the larger uh, in the draft, right? A lot of times we sit around and we debate, hey, who's going to go here? Who's going to go there? And right now, we are seeing Mac Jones surging out to a substantial favorite over everybody else to be the number three overall pick. So Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one overall to uh, to the Jacksonville Jaguars number 2 overall uh based on oddsmakers Zach Wilson is a monster favorite to go number 2 overall and now Mac Jones is out to minus 333 to go number 3 overall and kind of put that in perspective for the other positions right now you could make if 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 the oddsmakers are wrong you could make pretty decent money now betting on Mac Jones uh somebody other than Mac Jones to go third overall so right now Looking at the overall draft results, there are two to one on Justin Fields. And if by chance you believe, hey, the guy who's going to go third overall is uh, Trey Lance, he's all the way up to plus 470. Okay, so basically the 49ers, I told you this the moment it happened. I said Kyle Shanahan didn't trade up to decide that he was going to decide who his quarterback is later. When Kyle Shanahan made the decision to make the move to number three and give up all of the assets that the San Francisco 49ers did to get to number three, he wasn't in like with the quarterback class. He was in love. And it now appears that that love affair is between he and Mac Jones. So Kyle Shanahan is putting a lot on the line with Mac Jones being his guy. Now it still remains to be seen whether Mac Jones would start this year. Because remember, the NFC West is just a total juggernaut now. It was already probably the best division in football. Kyler Murray now coming into his third year, and the Cardinals are a legitimate big-time playoff contender. I think you can make an argument that the Rams are the best team in the NFC West now with Matthew Stafford. And I think you can even make an argument that Matthew Stafford as MVP, if you want to take a flyer on a guy, that the combination between uh, between the assets that the Rams have and Matthew Stafford suddenly being on a team with real offensive weapons around him and maybe the best defense in the entirety of the NFL, I think you can make an argument that Matthew Stafford is possibly a MVP candidate of the high level when you look at Sean McVay, what he's been capable of, the success that he managed to lead Jared Goff to, and now suddenly you've got Matthew Stafford and then it looks like the Seahawks have papered over whatever differences they might have had. And so the 49ers, I think, looked around and said, we need a higher asset IQ quarterback than what we've got right now with Jimmy G. And so they're going to try to go get, it appears, Mac Jones. But man, this is a big risk. Because if the 49ers swing and miss here, they've already spent a lot of money on Jimmy G, and the Kyle Shanahan defense is built phenomenally well. I don't know if you guys saw the video of Bosa working out. He looks like he's close to being back a hundred percent. And so George Kittle, if he can stay healthy, obviously right up there, one of the best tight ends in the league. The Mac Jones love affair for the 49ers is intriguing because I think if we had told you coming into this season, hey, Mac Jones is going to end up drafted higher than Tua is, than Tua was drafted, you would have all said I was crazy. And yet here we are with Mac Jones potentially going number three overall to the 49ers. You talk about a big risk and a big reward. I can't wait to see what's going to happen here. When we come back, top of the second hour, John McClain's going to join us in the second hour, but we're going to talk a little bit about this Britt Reid story. Could be messy for the Kansas City Chiefs, already a tragedy. And we'll also update you on everything going on with Deshaun Watson. This is Outkick on Fox Sports Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.
0: Do you need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. With your MX card entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap
2: music to your ears. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board.
1: This is Uncanny USA.